So that's Luke 19, verses 28 to 40. I'm going to read the passage and then I will pray. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would be with each of us now. By your Spirit, help me to speak the words you want me to speak and soften our hearts to hear your voice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So a royal entrance. What does a royal entrance look like to you? Here are a few pictures of our British royals entering in. First, we've got Prince Charles and Camilla in an MGTD in Cuba. Charles said it was the most beautiful car. It had an incredibly powerful accelerator. Now, I don't really know anything about cars, but that one looks pretty vintage to me. And then there's the Queen and the Duchess of Cambridge who had their first engagement together just a few weeks ago at King's College London. They were greeted in that photo by Christopher Guite, who is the chairman of King's, and they were toured around the campus. They met with some of the top staff and students at KCL. They had a royal tour. They even got to see a view from the top of the building, which when I worked there, I wasn't allowed to do. I'm a little bit jealous. And then there's Harry, who in a recent engagement here is greeting the crowds. There are so many people holding out their hand, trying to get a grasp of Harry's. So what makes each of them so special? It's because they're royals, and simply by being a royal, they are well-loved, but they also have the ability to speak into situations and to pay tribute to victims of disasters as Harry and Meghan did just a few weeks ago at New Zealand's house after the attacks on the mosque in Christchurch. They're people who are loved, not just here in the UK, 
but across the world. So if that's our perception of a royal, someone who's well-treated, who's well-loved, who is high up in the world, then surely we should see Jesus in the same light. Our passage for today shows Jesus' royal entrance. Luke wrote this gospel after Jesus' death, his resurrection, his ascension. He was writing with hindsight. He knew the end of the story, and so do we. But the disciples and the crowds in this passage, they didn't know the end of the story. For them, they were coming to see the king who they thought was going to free Jerusalem to be their saviour. So how does Jesus' royal entry happen? Well, we saw in some of those pictures of the British royals that they were coming in Bentleys, in vintage cars, even sometimes in a helicopter. But Jesus makes his royal entrance on a donkey. Let's read verses 29 to 34 together. It says, As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. We can see from verses 30 and 31 that Jesus is very clear in his command to these two disciples. You will find a colt, untie it and bring it to me. If anyone asks, say the Lord needs it. This colt has been waiting. He's been tied up and never been used. And it's quite unusual for an animal not to have been used in that time. But this colt was set aside for Jesus. Then we read that the disciples and the crowds laid down their cloaks Let's read verses 35 and 36, which say they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. The disciples realize that this is a royal occasion. They lay down their cloaks on the the colt, and the crowds lay theirs on the ground. It's a bit like a red carpet. You can imagine what the crowds were saying. Those disciples and those crowds were there because they knew and they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. For them, this was it. This was the moment that Jesus would triumph. Quick, lay down your cloaks. The king is coming, might have been a whisper in the crowd. Or perhaps we can't let the king make his triumphant entrance without making it special. What can we do? lay down our cloaks. Now, I've never been to a red carpet occasion, but I have watched many on TV and in films. 
And it's that point of being special, of the occasion being set aside. It's not every day that we get to walk on a red carpet. So we've seen that the disciples and the crowds recognize that this occasion was special. They recognize that Jesus is king, that he is royalty, and they acknowledge the occasion by laying down their cloaks. Out of this passage come two challenges. And the first is this. Who do you see as your king? Is Jesus your king? Or is it something or someone else? Jesus entered Jerusalem on a cult that was set aside for this exact occasion, walking on cloaks that made the occasion special. But why? Why was it set apart? What made it special? Jesus was entering Jerusalem so that he would triumph over the whole world. That's what made it special. Jesus was about to become the saviour of the world. So do you see Jesus as your king? Perhaps he's only your king when things are going really well. Or maybe he's only your king when things are going badly or perhaps when a child is ill or when you have a promotion coming up at work or your car has broken. Is Jesus only our king when it's convenient for us? The good news is that Jesus is king over the whole world. He is king over our entire lives, not just the good bits, not just the bad bits, but over everything. Even when things don't go our way, even when things aren't convenient for us. There's a song by Casting Crowns called Praise You in This Storm, and the chorus goes like this. I won't sing, don't worry. And I'll praise you in this storm, and I will lift my hands, that you are who you are, no matter where I am. And every tear I've cried, you hold in your hands. You never left my side, and though my heart is torn, I will praise you in this storm. Through the good and through the storms, God is faithful. And our response to his faithfulness is to praise him. Those crowds who were praising, we're going to get to them in a moment, they probably would have been the people that were harassing Jesus just a few days after this occasion. Why were they harassing him? Because Jesus wasn't the king they wanted him to be. Jesus didn't triumph in the way that they were expecting, in the way that was convenient for them. But when Jesus is king over our entire lives, we can praise him when things are good, and we can praise him 
when things go badly. So do we want to be like the crowds who stopped praising as soon as things didn't go their way? Or do we want to be the people who praise God in the good and in the bad? So is Jesus king over our lives? Over our entire lives? Or is there something or someone else taking his rightful place? And so in the running of of the events of Jesus' entry, finally we see that the crowds are praising God. They recognize that Jesus was sent by God to redeem Israel and they praise him. Let's read verses 37 to 40. It says, When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Those crowds, they were passionately praising God. Just like the crowds in that picture of Prince Harry, these crowds were holding out their hands just to get a touch of Jesus. They acknowledged that Jesus was their king. And in verse 39, we read that the Pharisees asked Jesus to rebuke the crowds. Because the Pharisees saw this act of praise as blasphemy. And Jesus replies by saying this, If the crowds were quiet, the stones will cry out. There is nothing that can't glorify God. Even the stones that might not have an audible voice, even those stones that actually look quite boring, even the stones will praise God. God. When Jesus is saying there is nothing that will stop him from being praised, nothing can get in the way of Jesus's believers praising him. The crowds believed that Jesus was king, that he was triumphant, that he was a royal, and they praised him. Do we praise God in a way that declares that he is our king. But the crowds, they were praising Jesus for the triumph that they wanted, not praising Jesus for the triumph that he actually made. We know what happens. We know the the end of the story, that just a few days after this, Jesus died. But we also have the joy of knowing that he rose again, that he triumphed over the grave. Jesus is triumphant over all the earth. 
But the crowds, they didn't know that. What they were hoping to happen was for Jesus to triumph over Jerusalem and reclaim it for the Israelites. They were expecting political transformation. Yet Jesus comes to bring spiritual transformation. Jesus is showing us that there needs to be spiritual transformation before there can be political transformation. When Jesus is our king, we know what Jesus did on the cross and we know what his rising again means for us and for the whole world. So what can we do about it? And that's where the second challenge of this passage comes in. And it's exactly what Jesus was entering Jerusalem to do. He entered Jerusalem to be the saviour of the world. So the challenge, do you believe that Jesus is the saviour of the whole world? Those crowds, they thought Jesus was coming only for them, not for everyone. And that's because they were expecting political transformation. But Jesus came to bring spiritual transformation that was for everybody. Jesus came for the many and not the few. Because he is the saviour of the whole world. And what this means for us as Christians is that we need to go out and share Jesus and how he has transformed our lives. Because Jesus is the saviour of the world. He is the saviour for everyone. There's that parable of the lost sheep where the shepherd goes and finds the one. He leaves the 99 behind and he goes to find the one who is lost. But the tables have turned. We sitting here in this church, we are now the 1%. And Jesus wants to know the 99. In Southwark Diocese, which is the diocese that we're a part of here at HTC, just over 1% of the population goes to church. Just over 1%. And that saddens me massively. People need Jesus. The 99% need Jesus. Jesus came for spiritual transformation before political transformation. And that means that we can pray and we can believe that with Jesus, those who are in the darkest of places, those who are carrying knives out of fear, those who are trapped in a world of performance perfection, they can find freedom with Jesus. We can pray and believe that spiritual transformation will come. Jesus came to be the saviour of the whole world. Not just the people that look like us or speak like us. Not just our next door neighbours. Not even just the homeless guy that sits outside Clapham Common Tube Station. Jesus came for everybody. 
And we, as believers of Christ, we have the key. It's the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, who guides us, who takes us on that journey of believing with Christ. We don't have to do it alone. Jesus entered Jerusalem to bring freedom for all people. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be God's vehicle in seeing that happen. We are on the verge of revival. Let's keep praying. Let's keep digging deeper because Jesus wants to know the 99%. God wants to move. Are you ready to let him use you? I'm going to invite the band up now, and I'd love to invite everyone to stand and close their eyes if you feel comfortable to do so. And I think that there are two groups of people to pray for. And the first, I think many of us will fall into, myself included. And that's the category who want to say, Jesus, you are king over everything in my life. And if that's you, I'd love for you to raise a hand. It's me as well, so I'm going to put my hand in the air. Jesus, I want you to be king over everything in my life. I'm going to say a prayer now, and if that's you, please do echo it in your hearts. Heavenly Father, I acknowledge that I don't see you as king of my entire life. And I am sorry for the times when I have shut you out. I turn to you now and I declare that you are king over everything in my life. By your spirit, help me to keep you as king. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Now I'd love to invite the prayer team forward, any Connect Group leaders who are willing to pray with people. And the second group of people that I think it would be really important to pray for are those who are sensing a call from God to evangelize, to go out to the world wherever that may be, whether that's in your workplace, whether that's in your home, in your family, perhaps even abroad, wherever that might be. If that's you, please do come forward. We'd love to pray for you. Perhaps you felt a small nudge during sung worship. But if God is putting a certain person or a certain area on your heart, please do come forward to pray. I'm going to pray now, and then we are going to worship the Savior of the world. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, guide us by your Spirit to see opportunities where we can be set apart for you. Help us to praise you in the storm, as well as in the good times. And encourage us by your Spirit to step out to the 99 and lead us to share our transformation so that we will see transformation across South London and across this nation. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.